Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Last week, Ken kind of uh, took us through a story that we, many people who've heard, who've grown up in church, and in fact, even if you haven't grown up in church, you might have heard this story before. It's a really famous story that Jesus told. It was called The Prodigal Son. But the story was actually a story about two sons. It was a story about two brothers. And even though we don't see a lot of interaction between the two brothers, The story tells us a lot about the relationship between the two brothers, and that's what we're going to look at today. Now, if you are here with us in the room today, or if you're listening to us online, and you're not a Christian, or you're kind of, maybe you've been away from from God for a while, away from church for a while, you're thinking about coming back, you really haven't made that big decision yet, if this is you, I want you to relax, because you are off the hook today. Because what I'm going to be talking about today, I'm talking specifically to Those of you in the room who have, for the last week, month, year, decade, called yourself a Christian. You see, because in this story of the prodigal son, Jesus is talking to one group of people, but there's another group that's there that's listening. I want to talk specifically to those of you who call yourselves Christians. And for those of you that are not, you get to listen in, you get to eavesdrop, on this conversation. And it may be that as you listen into what we're talking about today, that you're going to hear things and you're going to go, that is exactly why I stopped going to church. That is exactly why I didn't ever want to go near anything that had to do with God. You might hear something that makes you go, yes, I get that. And that's my hope for today is not just that we who call ourselves Christians are going to be able to take a second look at who we are and why we do things, but that maybe for some of you who are not, that you'll be able to look inside and see, listen, we don't really claim we've got everything set. We don't claim that we have everything right. We mess things up too, but that's all part of the process. So we're going to be back where we were last week in the book of Luke, which was written by Luke in chapter 15. And The story, as we started it last week, it starts with this. To illustrate the point further, right, because like Ken told us last week, there were two stories before this story. There was two stories before Jesus is coming to this third story, and so what he's telling us is, in case you didn't get it from the first two stories, here is more. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, and then he said, a man had two sons. See, we talk about the first son, but there was a second son. And so the the son that we always talk about, this is what it says in the very next verse. It says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And as we looked at last week, that phrase was basically telling the father, I wish that you were dead. I wish that you were dead because I want to get what is coming to me, what my share is. In essence, what the son was saying to the father was, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. This is what the son was saying. 
And like Ken told us last week, he said, I remember this really clearly because he said, now if my son came to me, right, I don't know if I would have that same response. Well, the people who were listening to Jesus tell this story, what they knew was that if a son ever said that to his father, the response from the father would be that he would attack him verbally. He might even attack him physically. He would drive him out of his household. That is the normal, understood, expected result of saying this to your father. But that is not what this father does. It says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, that word wealth, that in most Bibles that's translated wealth or riches, in the Greek that that's originally written in, the word that they use is the word bios. He agreed to divide his bios. It's the root word of where we get the word biology. In essence, what the father is saying here, and not, not really even in essence, literally what the father is saying here is that he agreed to divide his life between his sons. You see, we don't really get this living here in the Bay Area in 2018 because we live in a semi-urban, urban area, and, and we're very mobile now in our culture. We go from house to apartment to condo, back to house. We move around a lot. And so we don't have the same connection to land that people in other areas of the country, people in other areas of the world, and especially people who lived in this time period had to their land. You see, for them, land was who they were. Their land was where they got their importance. It's where they got their status. It's where they got their identity. It wasn't in their work because no one had jobs then. They just took care of their land. And the families took care of their land. And they had servants who helped them take care of his land, of their land. And so what the son was asking the father to do was to tear his life apart, to tear apart his standing in the community, to tear apart his status, to tear apart who he was. And no wonder no father would want to do that. But this father did. He agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. And then as we saw last week, and if you're listening to us online or you're here, and you didn't catch last week's message, you want to figure out what's going to go on in the middle of this story, you can find it online. But we're going to fast forward through. The young son takes his one-third of, of the father's wealth. And the reason that it's a third is because in this particular culture, and, and I really believe that we should continue this practice today, but in this culture, the oldest son got a double portion. And I'm the oldest son, so I'm thinking a double portion for the oldest is a good idea. Right? So, in this, so what would have happened between these two sons is that the older son would have gotten two-thirds, and the younger son would have gotten a third. And so this younger son, after who knows how long it would take for his father to you know, get a realtor and put his third of his property on the market and get it sold and then take that money and give it to the son, the son goes off, he spends the money, he squanders it on wild living, and all of a sudden he has no money, he hits rock bottom, he has an epiphany, he turns his life around, he heads back to the father. The father sees him far off. He runs towards him, and he brings him back in as a son. That's a story we heard last week, and that's the story of the prodigal son. 
But the story that Jesus told didn't end there. See, it goes on, and this was the end of that part of the story. This is the father talking, and he says that we have to celebrate because this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And then it says, and so the party began because the father threw a party for the son because he came back. Now, I want you to get a picture here because this is what's happening in the room that Jesus is in while he's talking to the people, right? Last week we saw that the the main audience that Jesus was talking to was what Jesus referred to as the sinners and tax collectors. They're the main audience in the room. But if we look back at the beginning of the chapter, what we see is is that around the back of the room, not not really part of the audience because they didn't want to mingle in, but around the back of the room, the sides of the room, there were what Luke tells us, describes as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the religious people. They're the people that do what I do. They're the people that grew up in the church, have been in the church their entire life. They know the Bible frontwards and backwards. They know everything about it. They're the people who go to church every week. They're the people who know that they're holy and know that they're righteous. And they're standing in the back, and they're watching Jesus talk. And they're muttering. They're saying, how can this man, and they're talking about Jesus, how can this man hang out with these sinners and tax collectors? So they're in there, and they're listening too. And Jesus gets to this story, and he's, and, and he's talking to the, to the people, and he says, all right, listen, when you're lost, you turn around, you run towards God, he is going to run towards you. And this is good news for them. And then Jesus continues. He starts now talking to the people that are around the back. And this is what he says. He says, meanwhile, right? So there's a party, there's a celebration. Meanwhile... The older son, the other son, the good son, the son that, that, that stayed behind, the older son was in the fields working. And that's not a surprise. He's the older son. He's responsible. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's out in the fields working. Now, in this culture, let's remember, there's no electricity. Right? So when do you work? You work as soon as the sun comes up because there's light. You stop working as soon as the sun goes down. So this sun has been up and working the entire time that there has been daylight. He's coming home. He's going from the fields. He's walking back to the house. Dusty, tired feet. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Now think about this. You're out. You're working the entire day. You come home, and you get to your house, and there is no place to park because all of the cars are in the driveway. They're up and down the street. You hear all the windshields going because somebody has the bass on too loud. You look up at your house, and you see lights kind of coming through the sides of the windows because somebody's got a disco globe in there, and there's flashing lights, and you hear this loud music, and you're coming home after a hard day. You don't know what's going on, and you're like, What in the world is happening here? This is what the older son was facing. And he says, he says to one of the servants, and I see, I see the servants, they're all running to the party, right? They've finished their work too, and there's a party, so they're like going to the party, and he's like, Oh, hey, 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 what is going on? So he says to one of the servants, What's going on? 
And the servant says, your brother is back. He was, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The fattened calf is a big deal. In this culture, the fattened calf didn't mean that they just found the biggest cow. In this culture, the fattened calf was very symbolic. And when he heard that they had killed the fattened calf, it set off in the older brother's mind an immediate picture of what was going on. This wasn't just a party. This was a celebration because they killed the fattened calf. It means something to the brother. You know how we know? Because in the next verse it says this, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Because that younger brother who there that morning when I left, he wasn't there. That younger brother who took a third of everything that we had, that younger brother who got his money, got to go off and have a good time in Vegas, he's all of a sudden back and we're going to throw him a party? In the Middle East, in this time, people almost never ate meat at a meal. Meat was not part of the regular diet of the people who were living in this time and in this place. So when they served meat, it was special. And the fatted calf was not just meat to them. The fatted calf was a delicacy. So you don't get the fatted calf every day. It's not like us. You can go to Costco. You can get little pieces and put them together and basically have a fatted calf. Back then, you couldn't do it. It was a special thing. And the brother is angry. And he doesn't want to go in. Can you see him outside of the party with the music going and the lights going, servants running up with food? They're, they're over there at the, where the calf is, and they're cutting off barbecue, and they're bringing it up in big, huge plates and bringing it upstairs to the party. And here is the older brother. He's standing outside. Because the older brother doesn't go away. He's right out the door. He wants everybody to know that he's not happy with what's going on. And when you kill the fattened calf, you don't kill the fattened calf just to have a meal at your home. You don't kill the fattened calf when it's an anniversary or, or a birthday. When you kill the fattened calf, you invite everybody in the village. You invite everybody in town. Even people that you don't know get to come to your house when you kill the fattened calf. And so here's the older brother. He's standing outside the door, and he's got his arms crossed, and he's pouting, and he's kicking up the sand, and he's mumbling to himself. And the Johnsons from down the street walk by, and they're like, hey, we, we're going to get us a fattened calf. And they ask him, they say, hey, aren't you going into the party? And he's going to tell them, no, I'm not going in there. For the father... To have the son outside doing what he was doing was a public humiliation. It was an insult to the father. And that's what he was doing. And any other father in this time or in that time would either drive that son away, come out that door and yell at him and tell him to get the, you know, out of here. Right? Or he would totally ignore him. It's a public insult. It's humiliating for the father. But see, this father is different. It says his father came out 
and begged him. See, a lot of people have trouble with this idea, this picture of God as Father. And a lot of that comes from the fact that many of us didn't really care for how our fathers were. And so when we think of Father, it doesn't bring a good picture. And what, what Jesus is trying to do is he's, he's trying to give us a, a picture, not of a reflection of our earthly father, but he's trying to give us a picture of the perfection of our heavenly father, of what a father is supposed to be. I mean, you have to keep in mind that until Jesus came, nobody referred to God as father. He was almighty, king of kings, lord of lords, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of the universe. I mean, we had all sorts of regal ways to address God. And every single time that Jesus addressed or talked about God, except for once, every single time, Jesus referred to God as Father. As Father. That was, that was the picture that he was trying to paint. And in this story, he is showing them what a true Father is what a true father would do. See, the true father didn't stay inside. The true father came out and begged him. The true father did for the older brother the same thing that he did for the younger brother. Both sons, he went and he came out. The son goes on and he says this, but he replied, and now he's talking to his father. He says, all these years, now I, I, always, I always teach out of the New Living Translation, which is where you'll find this, but if you look in other translations, there's a word that in this translation they live, leave out. Right before his first word after it says, but he replied, the first word that he says is look, and that look is actually more better for us translated as Look, you, it was an insult to his father. See, his father now has suffered the public humiliation. Now he's giving him a private insult in the conversation. And he starts off pointing at him, maybe even pushing his finger into the guy's chest and saying, look, you, all these years I have slaved for you. And Jesus was very careful to choose that word because he didn't use the word for servant. He used the word for slave. I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. He's mad. In all the time that I've done all the good things, all the right things, I've obeyed everything that you've said. I've done everything that you've told me to. I've followed the rules. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I have been fortunate in my life to have been able to sample both a young goat and a fattened calf. Let me tell you something. There is no comparison. There is no meat on a young goat. But that fat and calf is good. But you see, the son is drawing a distinction between the two, not just to say, here's a tiny, tiny goat and here's a big fat and calf. It's not just a distinction in the size. He's also talking about the distinction in the investment. You see, the young goat just popped out. He's brand new. We haven't hardly fed him anything. We haven't really had to take care of him much. 
But the fattened calf, we set aside special food for him to eat. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to walk around. He gets to just kind of go wherever he would like to go. Right? We have people massaging him. Make sure that meat is nice and tender. There's an investment in, in the fattened calf. There's none in the young goat. And in this story, Jesus is redefining sin. He's giving everybody in the room a new picture of sin. You see, there were two sons. One was very, very bad. One was very, very good. Both of them were lost. One did nothing right. All of the things that we're not supposed to do, he was doing them. And he was lost. But now here's the older son who stayed home, cleaned the house, did the laundry, worked out in the fields, took care of his dad. And he was just as lost as the other son. Because both sons wanted the father's stuff, but they didn't want the father. They wanted his wealth. They wanted his status. They wanted the freedom to be able to do whatever you want because you have money. But they also wanted the, the importance in the community of being the one that has the biggest state. And so the bad son was lost in his badness, but the good son was lost in his goodness. And so when the bad son, when he asked for inherit, his inheritance, and he, he was basically saying, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. The good son, in doing everything that the father did with the wrong motivation, was doing the same thing. I don't really want you. I just want your stuff. Tim Keller wrote this when he was, when he was writing about this whole story of the prodigal son. He says this. He says, when you see why the good son was lost... He was not lost in spite of his goodness. He was lost because of it. He was lost because he was doing all of the right things. Are, are you seeing the trouble here? That if we follow the rules, we do everything right? That, that we, we pray every day, we read the Bible, we do good things in the community, we come to church every week, that we can still be lost? Because of the reason that we are doing things? That in your goodness you can still be lost? And it's even harder for the older son. Because the younger son has a list. Right? The younger son, we have a whole list of things that he needs to stop doing. But what about the older son? The older son doesn't have a list. In, in, in the story, Jesus tells us that, he, that the older son said, I have done everything that you've asked. I followed all of the rules. And, and the father in the story doesn't argue with him. So what is the older son going to have to repent from? What is the older son going to have to do? It's all in the motivation of why you do it. He's talking to this room and the sinners in the room, the tax collectors, the, the bad people, they're the younger sons but he's also talking to the people who are standing in the back because they're the older sons and both of them are lost. See, religious people obey God to get God's stuff. But people who understand the message of the gospel that Jesus already paid the price, 
Gospel people obey God to get God, to, to resemble Him, to love Him, to, to have Him as a part of His life. Verse 30, it goes on, and we're wrapping up to the end of the story. It says, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. See, the older brother is saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Remember when he split and he says he divided his wealth between his two sons? He divided his wealth between his two sons? He didn't say he gave the younger son his share. He said he divided his wealth between the two sons. At the time, at the moment that the younger son got his one-third share, the older son got his two. Everything I have is yours. And then he says, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He is lost and now he's found. We had to. Can you imagine the agony? I mean, parents, if you're a parent, you understand this. Can you imagine the agony of your child telling you that he wishes that you were dead and taking your stuff and walking away? And you don't care about the stuff. You care about the child that's walked away, that you're never going to know if you're ever going to see them again, if you're ever going to hear from them again. This is what the father was dealing with, and he had agony in him. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to see my son again. And I don't know if my son will ever get it in his head and understand how much I love him. I'm never going to know that. So when he comes back, we have to celebrate. We have to. We, we can't do anything else because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he's found. If the elder brother truly loved the father, forget about what his relationship was with his brother. If he truly loved his father, then the elder brother, when the son left, the younger son left, the elder brother would have seen the agony, would have seen the heartbreak in his father, and he would have said, Father, I am going to go and find your son. And I don't care what kind of life he has led. I don't care if he has spent all the money. I don't care in what condition he is in. I don't care if it costs me something. I am going to go out, and when I find him, I'm going to do everything that I can to bring him back home. If this was a movie, the father, you'd see his face, and he'd say, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he's found, and then the screen would kind of fade to black, and there'd be some music, and then all of a sudden the credits would roll. See, Jesus doesn't resolve the story. It's a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens. We don't know if the family becomes reconciled. Right? We don't know if the elder brother says, oh, Father, you're right, goes into the party, and they're dancing all night. 
right? We don't know if that happened. We don't know if the elder brother said, no, there is no way I want my share, and he walks away from everything. We don't know what happens at the end of the story. If you were the elder brother, what would you do? How will we finish the story? How will we respond? How will we respond when God calls us back in? When we've done everything right and it seems like our life still isn't happening the way it's supposed to happen, how do we respond? How do we respond when somebody who's come in and, and it wants to start turning towards God, but they don't look right, they don't smell right, they don't act right? What do we do then? Do we tell them, clean up your act first? Or do we respond like the true elder brother would have and say, yes, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it costs me to bring him back. How will you finish the story? Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.